0: Now we're here, how do we get out? Now we're here, how do we get out? Presented by actor and animal activist Peter Regan and filmmaker Andrew Telling.
1: Welcome to the first of what we hope will be many podcasts called Now We're Here how do we get out? Peter, please explain. What do we mean by that title?
0: Well, that's, that's a very good question, Andrew. And um, the first question I would ask is, what do we mean by here? Absolutely. The uh, uh, first thing I would uh, grab at, I think, would be uh, here we are in the middle of the worst pandemic our world has ever faced. So the first thing perhaps we should discuss is um, now we're here with the coronavirus,
1: how do we get out? Here, in the sense of the word we're using, mm-hmm. seems to be something that's incredibly man-made. Indeed, absolutely. Here is something that we've got to through our own decisions and choices. Indeed, absolutely. Yes. And and I think that's
0: important. I think it's very important. I think it's very good you mentioned it because the coronavirus is always being referred to as uh, an animal-created disease Um, of course it is um well you explain it very well in terms of um, zoonotic diseases
1: that's right zoonotic diseases are essentially diseases which move from animals into humans Mm -hmm. the way in which it works with something like coronavirus and this hasn't been proved de facto just yet but we assume that it started in bats and pangolins and humans in wuhan at a live animal market so The bat disease travelling to humans isn't inherently bad. Mm -hmm. The pangolin disease travelling to humans isn't inherently bad. But a bat disease moving from the bat to the pangolin, which then mutates and then moves to the human, is bad. And the reason that mutation happens is because bats and pangolins shouldn't be stored alive together in such close confines. It's not natural, but that's what the diet requires in that part of the world, and that's why it happens. Exactly. So uh, there we have it. <clears throat> this
0: is um, a man-made problem. Absolutely. And we are constantly accusing animals of creating the problem when we created ourselves. And I think what is um, extraordinary about this, and indeed with the way that we run our lives in this area of our eating, that I think we are the only species on the planet who directly collude with their own destruction as mm-hmm. far as this is concerned and this is very opposite in terms of what we're dealing with now. This is a a, 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 a breakdown of resistance mm-hmm. to a disease that could possibly live within an, the animal kingdom and not affect us as humans if we didn't insist on packing them into these confined okay. situations in the most brutal way in the in let's call it the wet markets in Southeast Asia. Yeah. And it's not just China, it's um, I- Indonesia, Vietnam, yeah. uh, all over. Absolutely.
1: Uh, and we've seen it. We, we've, we've seen it with our own eyes. Indeed. Because you and I have been to an Indonesian meat market in mm. North Sulawesi. Yeah. And we've seen animals, live animals, stacked together in cages, which, from an, a purely ethical point of view, it's disgusting, it's yeah. horrendous, it's grotesque. But they shouldn't be in yes. that condition. They've Absolutely. been picked out of different environments and stuffed together. And so, so long as that continues, it is going to be a problem. There Indeed. was a, in um, May this year, there was a great piece of news which came out of China, which was that cats and dogs have been removed from the national livestock catalogue which means that they will no longer be sold as food they are effectively companion animals absolutely but that isn't
0: of course isn't going to not impact on this squashing together of different species absolutely so where we are as far as that is concerned is we are into the question of now we're here about individual diets, why people want to eat certain things, should people eat certain things, do we have a right to tell people what they should or shouldn't eat, and Are we talking to people who are willing to listen or are we talking to people who agree with us already? Mm. What are we trying to achieve by having the kind of conversations I hope that we're going to have (laughs) over a long period of time?
1: There is an inevitability about where we are at the moment. So science is absolutely together on the fact that we are headed for a particularly difficult place. Yeah with our reliance on natural resources, our reliance on huge consumption of animals, and in a very intensive way, yeah. we're putting pressure on the environment and causing catastrophic problems for the future. Yeah. So there is a, there is an issue here. There are, in fact, two issues, the first of which is an ethical meat-eating issue, and the second is, even if that's not something that resonates with you, the destruction of the earth should be.
0: Yeah. Well, be- can I just ask you what you mean when you say... Uh, an ethical meat-eating question. What, what
1: do you mean by that? I think there are going to be people who listen to this podcast, and they are meat-eaters. Yeah.
0: Well, and I do hope that meat-eaters will listen yeah, to this podcast. Yeah, absolutely,
1: and I do too, and I think that though they, they may be thinking, well, hang on, I'm going to be beaten over the head again to mm. stop eating meat, and I really like eating meat. Well, that's not the position we're coming from. My point about the ethical element is that even if you don't want to stop eating meat because you have a understanding of sentience and animal welfare there is a bigger issue in that the earth is slowly decaying and being destroyed as a result of that eating meat so there are two like that you mean uh, not just as a result of eating meat you you mean intensive absolutely agriculture. Yeah, yeah yeah there are two imperatives yeah. there to to that question about meat eating
0: okay so how do we uh, as you said we we visited the extreme market in Tomon and mm. Sulawesi it certainly was as far as I'm concerned and I know it was as far as you were concerned one of the most horrific experiences mm. of my life mm-hmm. how, how do we get them away from? approving of this way of producing food. Mm. And also, not only that, h- how do we convince people in the West to join the fast-growing vegan movement? And we ha- we, haven't, we mustn't hide from the fact that no. the, uh, w- how we get out, uh, the clearest way, I think, is by following a plant-based diet.
1: So how do we take people on our journey? I think there are two very different conversations because the first conversation deals with the West, the second deals with the the East, the Far East and parts of Asia. There are two very different economies. So in the West, we have a typically a very good economy. Mm. We also have a very fast moving vegan and vegetarian movement. At the moment in the UK, it's, I think it's 1.16% of the population is vegan. How, many, how many people would that be? 650,000. No. People might think that's a low number. But the important thing is it's growing at a very fast rate. Over the last five years, it's grown at something like 500%. So there is that thought process that in the West, we have the means, the understanding and the financial resources to at least try a plant-based diet. We can do that.
0: Why does that have to be a financially (laughs) resource-driven desire?
1: Because in the East, a lot of the animal-related activity that we talk about is intrinsically linked to people's livelihoods.
0: I agree completely that um, an alternative means of income has to be Mm. um, provided in order for people to make a living. Do we need people to feel compassion and kindness towards animals? Because... Clearly, in these um, extreme markets, none of that exists. No, I don't think that's the route to go through. If it is always financially driven, then
1: is, is that what you're saying? Financial and, and a, a degree of education as well. But I don't think, and we've met we met people yeah. in Indonesia, and we yeah. met people who have changed profession, yeah. but they didn't do it because they had a sudden love for animals. Yeah. They did it because there was a better way of earning money. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting to learn. The other thing that we learned in Indonesia, which I think carries in many parts of the world, is their excuse for doing it was cultural. And somebody went back through the archives and it discovered that there was nothing cultural about it at all. Yeah, this is the thing I always have a problem with, because I can't see that, that um, culture
0: I- embraces anything to do with destruction. I think culture should be linked to things that are creative, like music and art and uh, mm. not just how i destroy a living creature mm. and find an interesting way of eating it yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it just doesn't exist in it that doesn't exist um well i i think certainly the imperative in terms of earning a living is uh, the driving one in, in, in most cases uh related to change mm. Yeah. Mm. um but I also think it is deeply important that everyone <laughs> confronts, um, and I mean this East and West, mm-hmm. confronts the fact that in order to eat something that has moved and therefore you kill it to eat it is such a destructive act mm-hmm. that you are bypassing any sense of compassion, mm-hmm. human compassion mm-hmm. or kindness in your Selection. Mm. Do you mean education when you say education? Mm. Do you believe that alongside with providing alternatives, you provide education to increase compassion?
1: I think you try. Yeah. And I think that you can be successful in that way. And there are some fantastic charities we know: Change for Animals Foundation, Dog Meat Free Indonesia. They are working so hard at a grassroots level to do exactly that. But you and I know. You you know. Put the hats of reality on now. There are blokes and women wielding machetes doing the most abhorrent things to animals. Yeah. There is no compassion on that level that exists. There why, is, why, do you think, why, why do you think that is? Because I don't think they see what they're doing as anything other than a, than a commodity. I think they have been so heavily ingrained to the fact that this piece of meat Ha- has come from nothing but a financial resource. So, we've, okay, sorry to interrupt you again, but so that we don't begin to sound
0: like colonial Westerners uh, having a, mm. a racial response to Southeast Asians' mm-hmm. attitudes to animals, mm-hmm. I would just drop in the fact that I don't think it's that far removed in the West. To how we relate to industrialized,
1: intensive animal agriculture. Yeah, I think we do it in a, in a more covert manner. Absolutely, Every, yeah. everything's done under under, yeah. under steel yeah. roofs. Yeah. And just a note on that education as well. The other element is communicating with a younger generation who are growing to understand compassion.
0: Well, certainly, uh, certainly, our experience is uh, certainly in China and, and in Indonesia. I think in also South Korea, um, and. Vietnam um the the younger generation are instinctively driving the change of attitude absolutely towards right. um, absolutely to absolutely ap- appetite yeah. and it's it is increasingly becoming more of a, an old man's or, or an old woman's uh Taste to have things that are quite exotic and uh, bushmeat kind of things,
1: and and, and and also that, that, as I mentioned earlier, just to see an animal as a commodity, Mm. to to have it so ingrained in one's mind that there is nothing else that exists around that. But you raise an interesting point when you talk about Western intensive farming. So one of the things which I find really irritating on social media is when something happens and is reported in the press on China. And it's a negative animal-related story. And there are plenty, Mm -hmm. um, although China has an incredibly fast-moving group of younger animal advocates. But the one thing that really frustrates me is when people pile into, let's say, Twitter and say, yeah, but that's just the Chinese and it's what they do, Chinese this, Chinese Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Without the understanding that in the West there is something that exists that is not dissimilar.
0: Totally, absolutely. Uh, It's always those um, foreigners in the Far East uh, who are so cruel. And um, uh, uh, we are throwing stones at glass houses uh, when we very much live in the glass house ourselves, Mm. as far as that's concerned. And And I think it's very important um, in terms of really fully understanding where we are and how we get out to understand precisely how we relate to animals as commodities Mm. in our own societies. And this last week, it's been full of uh, exposés of farms that Mm. are treating pigs in the most horrible way. Yeah. And if I tell people about it, who are eating these animals, their immediate response is, no, 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 I don't want to know about that. No, No, please, please, that's too upsetting. But if I had told them... About what is happening in China or Southeast Asia with uh, say companion animals or uh, any animals in general, they would say, "Well, that's yeah, mm. isn't that awful? They, those people are just terrible. Mm. Um,
1: you know, they have no feelings. No. This week has been quite difficult, really, because one of the and we 're not going to mention it, but there is a certain mark that certain welfare. Meats yes, have. that old tractor, you mean? Yeah, yeah, the old tractor, yeah, which has a colour. Yeah, indeed. And uh, the conditions in one of these factories, which gets that mark, yeah, is abhorrent. Absolutely Absolutely, awful. absolutely yeah. abhorrent. Yeah. So the problem now is that those people who are tell you what I'm going to eat a bit less meat mm-hmm. and I'm going to eat better meat and I'm going to eat that meat because the supermarket tells me that it's good meat. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, now that's just complete. Nonsense. Absolutely,
0: yeah blown away. That's interesting I I was also, as well as receiving that kind of information this week I also logged into um, a video about a a, a slaughterman who had moved away from it because he found the cruelty so extreme. It's something I've spoken about a a lot. I do think that um, they are all extremely low paid um, Mm -hmm. uh, people and in the UK, as far as I gather, they are Eastern European. um, And in America, they are uh, Hispanic or um, not
1: what what Donald Trump would call your normal Americans. (laughs) Um, Are they Eastern European because the pay is is so low? Yeah. And so people in the UK wouldn't wouldn't want to do want it. Want to do that job. But
0: they may not want to do it anyway. Um, but I'm not sure that Eastern okay. Europeans want to do it particularly. But it's a job. It's a job. It's a job. And it's a horrible job. And this uh, slaughterman I was listening to in this video, he, he nearly went mad. Um mm. became an alcoholic, became abusive to his partner. Wow. And, um, and he said, this isn't just me, this is the trend. Um, people I talk to about this, um, they they have to treat animals, either dehumanise them or treat them as a commodity. Mm. And they would play games, like they would, if they were dealing with chickens, they would cut the chicken's neck, cut the head off and put the head on their finger and play around with it like a puppet. Oh, man, Um, that's... And they would also take the chicken, and this is the most disgusting image, and they would squeeze the chicken to the point that its excrement spurted out in the face of the man working next door to them, and that was a big game and a big trick um is this the uk this was in america in america in america okay. in, in the uk i mean we, we see what we saw last week you know there's a, a horrible yeah. image of that stockman throwing a bucket at a car
1: yeah yeah and, um, and you know the, the thing that i think is really important to to sort of tie together we mentioned earlier about walking through the markets in indonesia watching abhorrent things happen to animals and we, we talk about it, we film it, we put it online, and people say, I don't want to watch it, that's disgusting, it's awful, it's terrible. And yet, in the UK and America, the same thing is happening, albeit under closed doors. And, it, yes. and it's just the two things are not linked together yeah. in any way. It's almost like they're, you know, what's happening there, yeah. we are supercilious and superior to it. We yeah. don't do that, yes. and, it, and we do.
0: We do indeed. We do. So this is all very opposite, because in relation to our podcast title, Now We're Here... This is where we all are. Mm. We are here in a different context in um, Southeast Asia, but certainly here in in the West and in the UK. We are in the middle of um, incredible horrors of Mm. intensive farming. Mm. It's getting worse and worse and worse. People are being encouraged to eat cheaper and more meat. We have one of the highest rates of obesity in the whole of Europe. Um, It's incredibly unhealthy. We are becoming immune to um, certain antibiotics because 80% of the world's antibiotics are used in animal agriculture and uh,
1: superbugs are created all the time that we are not resistant to. And also, we've obviously mentioned the coronavirus in as much as it happens in the you know the wet markets of China it can also happen in the slaughterhouses of the UK and yeah. America because pigs and chickens for example are kept together typically in those environments and pigs and chickens don't normally exist together in those confined spaces yeah. so the chances of a zoonotic disease mutating and going to humans is just as high
0: absolutely you know, it's just
1: yeah. it's just as yeah. it's just as dangerous
0: yeah. and they also the animals don't have their own natural resistance because they're living in such terrible conditions so the 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 bug jumps from one to the other and gets bigger rather than smaller or stronger so it's a terrible terrible situation If, if i were again if i talk about this generally the kind of reaction that i would get is um well i've got more things to think about than um the condition that animals are living in in order for me to be able to afford to buy them in order mm. to be able to eat, in order mm. to be able to get a job. I have a life that, I, that concerns me more, the, uh, my, my, the compassion for my own life is more important to me than my compassion for the situation of animals that I'm eating. And as we know, I mean, this isn't just fantasy, um, intensive animal agriculture throughout the world is destroying our planet. Yeah. Um, and It is destroying our health.
1: There's a statistic I read which is really interesting in that we have to eat 70% less meat in the UK if we are to prevent a climate breakdown. Yeah it's
0: terrifying. So we have the destruction of the planet, we have um, the highest obesity rate in Europe. Um, This is another thing that I keep thinking about. Is it a luxury for us to care I say that apropos of the person who says I don't want to think about that as
1: in what we're doing here yeah I think that if we are going to move forward with this and I mean with animal welfare and the climate all of those things we have to do it in association with other people's personal views about their own lives yeah so you mentioned earlier about the person who needs a job, needs to earn money, hasn't got time to think about animal welfare. And that doesn't necessarily mean they don't care. It's just not prevalent in their mind. Yeah. So I think we have to find a way of tying all of these things into that attitude, tying it into a way where that person can become engaged without them feeling like they're turning the back on those issues that are so important to them.
0: And what, what, what if people just don't care?
1: I think people would care if the message is delivered in the right way. Yeah. One of the problems we have faced with many people is that as soon as you mention the word vegan to them, they conjure up images of a 1960s hippie, yeah. somebody who's going to beat them over the head with statistics... <laughs> Uh, and with lentils and with, carrots with lentils and carrots <laughs> just, and and basically just be a, a, a pompous bore
0: yeah well i have to say just to, uh, to chuck in on that because i am i've been vegan now for i suppose 6 years i stopped eating meat 10 or 11 years ago having been a relatively committed carnivore for the greater part of my life which i hugely regret But I certainly think that the lifestyle I've chosen to live now is the one that I love most of all. I think it's the best decision I ever made. I've never felt physically better, and I also eat an enormously varied and exciting um, diet, which leaves me with none of the um, intestinal problems that I used to suffer from when I was following a, uh, a, 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 a diet of eating animal
1: flesh i i would say to anybody who is who is a meat eater this is not a forum to put you against the wall humiliate and intimidate this is a forum to provide information so you can get an educated and informed choice yeah and my my overarching feeling is if you give people the right information in the right way the choice they make will be the correct choice. And by that, I don't mean that you immediately turn to a vegan diet overnight, or even a vegetarian diet. But if somebody listening to this decides to eat one less piece of meat every week, the amount of meat that they stop eating will equate to something exceptionally significant. You know, when you consider that one burger takes 4,000 litres to create, that's water for the animal, water for the crop, the whole system. So if you consider one burger less you're in, in a week is 4,000 litres of water saved. Imagine that over a, a That's year. Amazing. It's amazing. Do, do you know when you start to present yeah. those kind of figures, yeah. it's actually not a huge issue to stop eating mm-hmm. that one burger.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think I read a statistic that to produce one kilo of meat, uh, it takes up the. It takes as much water as one individual's use of water for a whole year. It's a staggering amount.
1: And we we have a finite supply of water. This is the thing that
0: people don't realise. It's the new gold.
1: Yeah, exactly that. It comes from the sky and you think it's free, but Mm. it has to get into the sky in the first place. And that comes from an existing supply on the planet. So we don't have an endless Mm -hmm. supply of this water.
0: And when that water comes back to the planet, it needs to be working on soil that's going to be beneficial to the planet as well, which is being destroyed by intensive animal agriculture
1: and i think sorry just one last thing that i think is quite important to mention is that there is now a movement towards very good fake meat products there are already fake meats but i learned an interesting fact that one of the things that gives traditional meat its its flavor and look is heme iron and only recently have they worked out how to replicate that in a non-animal way in a lab. So now they're using this heme iron in their burgers. Like there's a company called Impossible Burger in in America. They're marvellous, yeah. And the future of that is incredibly interesting because the other side of all of this is even if you find a person who doesn't have any compassion at all, if you can swap what they're eating for something that tastes the same, that gives us a huge advantage. Sure,
0: absolutely. It's very interesting. Um, I think also if we can find um, how we get out of here by encouraging people not to treat animals as commodities in terms of their diet. That, I think, also will reflect on how they treat animals in general, which is the major imperative in my life, is treating animals with the same rights that we as humans have, and that is the right to a free and happy life. Mm. Um, And also, uh, it will have a huge effect, and this is something else we can discuss in the future. Um, I talked to a great friend called Mal Plant, who has been producing a thing called The Link um, for the last 10 or 15 years. And um, this is how badly children are affected by viewing cruelty to animals. Um, particularly in Eastern Europe, where there is so much uh, cruelty towards the stray dog population. And he's done a study on this and has found that those children go on to become extremely cruel themselves, which infects uh, their uh, social lives, their marriages, their Mm. relationships. So this whole disease, uh, which is treating animals as commodities, is affecting our lives in such a detrimental way in general that we are going to benefit as human beings by changing that attitude and informing it with kindness and compassion and believing that all animals have what we as human beings have and want to protect and that is the right to life.
1: Let's open it up. If anybody would like to get in touch with us, either by email or via our social media feeds, the details are at the end of this podcast. Great. Please do get in touch, drop us a line, ask us a question, and anything else that comes up we can deal with perhaps in future episodes. Fantastic. Thank you for listening. Thank you for talking.
0: (laughs) We always want to hear from you. So whether you have a question, an observation or a suggestion, please get in touch with Peter and Andrew by emailing life at orangeplanetpictures.com or search for Orange Planet Pictures on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.